0: This is Gary Baker and. The magical and mystical Cal Carson. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes, of course. Which was diverted for a second looking around. Where's the butt? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're sitting in different chairs. Yeah, you're in the big chair right now, and uh, I'm sitting over here as a sidekick, and there it's been go. a great time. Yeah. I feel like Ed McMahon. And <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs>
1: (laughs) So you have a book in front of you.
0: I have a book in front of me because, and let me tell you a little bit about this book before I even introduce our author. It was really amazing because I was walking through uh, the office at work and I saw this book laying on top of of a table. And I picked it up and I opened it up and I read about five pages of this book and immediately got... Locked into it. I was like, this is really amazing because the first thing I saw in it was hmm, characteristics about myself. And then I looked around and it was like, "Whoa! Characteristics <laughs> about, about a everybody. bunch of people here," <laughs> yeah. and it really amazed me. And I just started reading it. It's 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 a good read. It's a, it's a it's a slim book, and you know you can sit down in an evening and go through it. And it has some really fascinating stuff. So I said, "Hey, I got to share this with the world because more people need to know about it. If they don't already know, maybe I was the last person in line." So I said, "Let me get in contact with the author, and her name is Camille Preston." PhD and she wrote a book called rewired and I said wow we've got to talk about this because vacation time's coming and I'm thinking unplugging and then if you got to plug back in well that's rewiring so Camille welcome to the internet advisor how you doing today
2: very well, thanks. I love the way you describe it as easy and accessible. Thank
0: you. Yes, it really is. It's it's a great, easy book to read. And it, believe me, from my perspective, books have to be easy and
1: accessible or I don't have a chance and, in the world. And it sounded like it really made sense to you.
0: Oh, it, it hit home like a, a pile of bricks. Uh, Camille, what inspired you to write the book in the first place?
2: You know, it's a funny story. I was... Uh, I had been writing a different book, and I was having a hard time finishing it. So I gave myself a little writing retreat in Sedona, and it was basically eight days. I decided I would either come back with the book done, or I would move on to other endeavors. And when I was in Sedona, literally that book just came through me in less than four days. And I think it was just stepping back, unplugging myself from a very busy life, I'm starting to pull the themes of what I had seen so many of my clients and candidly things that I was working on addressing too and so it was it's very much a universal challenge, but at the time it was written, no one was talking about the challenges
0: so you were pretty much a victim of this this high technology world as well
2: yeah, I like many folks to have my own business and um do a lot of work online and when you run your own business you you, responsiveness is key. So I, I was fairly connected. But it wasn't just entrepreneurs that would, are feeling this. It's people in all works of life because there's very little separation between work and life now with technology. You know, we leave the office, but we have all of our emails and all of our connectivity in our pocket, whether we're going running or going to our kid's ball game or, you know, candidly going to worship.
1: So, you know, there's a couple things that I noticed, and I'm sure, I don't think you coined the phrase, but I love the way you you used it, and that is, you know, the cost and consequences of living overwired. Are we overwired today?
2: I would turn that back to you. When you look around and you see people at dinner for family dinners, but everybody's got their head in a device, or you commute in the subway and people don't have conversations because their heads are in a device, or... You go to the gym and people aren't necessarily connecting with each other. I, I see that around me all the time. I think the bigger issue is r- research shows that there's been a 66% in, of increase in ADD over the last decade. Or I should say that when I wrote the book, that was just a statistic. And probably I higher now. It's, <laughs> it's probably higher now. And I don't think ADD has changed. I mm-hmm. think it's that we are not taking time to think deeply, to interact deeply, mm-hmm to have purposeful conversations, to actually get into peak state of performance, the flow, the zone, whatever you want to call it. When we live overwired, we're kind of vibrating at a high iteration, not necessarily performing at our best.
1: And so, actually, you said you were an entrepreneur and you owned your own company. Um, So that, you were the founder of AIM, AIM Leadership? Correct. And that's leadership development and executive coaching. Some of your customers, I'm guessing, um, you're seeing that in, in them, too, at, at the highest levels of corporations.
2: I, I see it across generations, across industries, across sides size of companies. It, people are really feeling that they're having a hard time setting boundaries to, to turn off work and to turn on being at home. And as a result, they're not doing anything really well.
0: Okay, so basically, and, and I read this in your book. What you're saying is that because we're doing so much, we're not doing any one thing really great when we're when we're multitasking and we're and we're all plugged in and wired up.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And the research is really compelling. The costs of living overwired. We when we're multitasking, we actually can't multitask. We're in essence toggling from one task to the next task to the next task back and forth and each time we shift from task to task even if we think we're doing it so we're shifting so quickly that it feels like we're multitasking what we're doing is draining our most vital resource our brain and it has just incredible financial costs and consequences emotional costs and consequences health costs and consequences and my my background is I came into leadership working with police executives police chiefs from large jurisdictions and they had a very unique, um, unprecedented level of heart disease and that was associated with going from zero to 100 when a call came in. So mm. the onset of stress and what that did to their longevity. And I see that more and more with executives in what you wouldn't anticipate would be a high-stress profession, but the way technology keeps us so tethered it's, it's having a, a real lasting ripple. And as a result, we're not doing the best work that we can. We're working much longer hours. We're not present with our families. It's having a, a real stacking effect.
1: You know, I, I do see that when, you know, email is store and serve, and if I don't get around to email right away, no big deal. But when people text me um, and they want to chat, they want to chat right then. And my kids, they'll say, oh. Dad, you didn't answer my text. I, went, I, I will when I get to it. And their concept is no, a text is a conversation. And I'm going, but I didn't volunteer and agree to be in this conversation. And they don't seem to get that. They seem to think that you have to respond immediately. And their friends come from all over, you know, because they're online, and they they try to. You know, they try to engage uh, either of my kids um, almost in in instantaneous conversation. Is that really the problem?
2: Well, so there's an interesting thing. So what happens with technology is when you go into your inbox and you see new emails, you get this little zap or uh, (laughs) little momentary high of dopamine, if you go back tens of thousands of years, we were wired to see newness in our environment. We were wired to notice a lion that was there that we weren't, weren't anticipating. And so we would, our nervous system would respond by giving us certain neurochemicals. And that, that felt great in the moment. And it was a very, uh, very healthy response. We <laughs> yep. now get that same response when we get emails or tweets or Facebook or Twitter. And so all of a sudden you start to get the same dopamine hit for lots of little things. And so people, we see people preferring to go for the quick little dopamine hits like Facebook or Skype or text rather than the longer, more enduring kind of equivalent. If dopamine like sugar, the, the longer equivalent would be like protein. Mm. And that comes from having really enduring relationships.
1: So it's a fight, flight, or text is the responses that we're seeing today. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I apologize. In Hanover, New Hampshire, there's a helicopter landing
1: at the hospital, the bed back hospital. I'll tell so you I what, apologize. no problem. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with Camille Preston, uh, who wrote a great book, Rewired, How to Work Smarter, Live Better, and Be Purposefully Productive in an Overwired World. Uh, we're going to take a short break for a couple of commercials, and then we'll be back to talk to Camille. Well, welcome back to the Internet Advisor. This is Gary Baker with Cal Carson, and we have a special guest, Camille Preston, who wrote a great book, Rewired, How to Work Smarter, Live Better, and Be Purposefully Productive in an Overwired World. Camille, welcome back to the Internet
2: Advisor. Fantastic. Thank you.
1: Hey, Camille. Got a question that
0: came up during the break. Has nothing to do at all with your book directly, but we were curious. At the end of your name, I know what PhD stands for. Everyone does. That's piled higher and deeper. No, I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs>
0: but, <laughs> I kind
2: of agree with that.
0: Um, it stands for PCC. doctor, as we already know. But what does the PCC
1: stand for?
2: Professional Certified Coach. Oh, so certified. That's a,
1: we, That's what we were, uh, we, we couldn't get that part of it. So tell us, what. how do you get that?
2: I did my, my doctorate at UVA, but I went to Georgetown for executive coaching, and I just wanted to understand a little bit more about a framework for really helping leaders ignite their effectiveness. And so I did my training with uh, Georgetown. And then you go through a certain level of training with certain metrics with, with a program that's certified by the International Coaching Federation. So I'm actually going for my MCC now. I've hit that kind of threshold of the number of hours that I've logged and uh-huh. uh, clients I've seen.
0: Well, bravo to you. That's great to hear. Thanks. Uh, okay, so... Here, here, here's a question for you, I'm going to throw by you. We have talked about uh, the negative effects of being overwired mm-hmm. and not being plugged in. So now, for example, let's say you're coaching one of your executive uh, clients and they've got a operation and you know that if people multitask too much, they just don't do a really great job at anything. How do you say to a person who has over the years spent thousands, if not millions of dollars on all this new technology and say, you know something, sometimes your, your employees need to walk away from that technology to be a better employee. How do you convince them to do that after they've made a major investment like that?
2: That's a great question. So I, I, pulled some, I have some research that shows that when you're living overwired, if you're doing it at a very small level, barely moderately, it's costing you forty eight. dollars If you make $100,000, it's costing you over $48,000 of lost productivity to be overwired. So I can show an executive these numbers and really drill down with what it's costing them on their bottom line ROI, and as a result, they find it often very easy to, to shift their shape. Oftentimes, I will have clients do standing, closed-screen meetings, which sounds hard at first, but when everyone's standing, they're much more attentive. When everyone's paying attention rather than checking Facebook or emails or what have you, they find that the speed at which they execute their meetings goes through the roof.
1: Yeah. You know, we do that a lot of times with uh, software development, especially agile development. We have stand-ups. And we do a 15-minute stand-up, and uh, depending on how many people are in the circle – uh they have to be pretty quick about it and everybody listens nobody you know nobody is is on the phone or on um on email it works tremendously well so i think i'm i'm really agreeing with you how do you, how do you get the executives do you find that they listen do they really unplug when they take off and go on vacation
2: that's so interesting i've had an increase i've had a huge spike of clients that have opted to go out of the country because it's easier to justify unplugging when you're off your cell phone, cell, your cell phone plan, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yep. So I think it's hard to cut the cord because we all feel better with that little spurt of dopamine. So it takes willpower and discipline. Going overseas is easier. What we know from the research is that you can, if you can really take that time to step back, to get perspective, to really rejuvenate, your productivity is going to really soar on the return. So the, the ROI is, is fairly convincing when you can get people to take that time. A lot of times I will, I remember one client I started her, you know, there's a huge surge in the power of meditation. Mm-hmm. But if you're feeling overwired, it's really hard to sit and meditate. I had one client that I mandated that she take two 10-minute naps a day. And she looked at me and said, I'm paying you how much to tell me to take a nap.
1: <laughs> but literally, I mean, it.
2: It, and I would also say, I wish I had taken an upside of her business because uh, it made in a difference. Pro- I, I would have turned over the fee for services <laughs> for an upside of the increased productivity. She wow. just um, she when I first started working with her, she had brought in seven hundred fifty thousand as a lawyer, and it was at the downturn in the economy, and she was really worried about building her pipeline. After six months of working together, she had a pipeline of $3.1 million. And when I checked in after four years, she had brought in close to $11 million, I believe, um, as a result of the work. So there's a, there's a huge ROI if you put this into place. Some of it is really counterintuitive. Some of the work that I've gotten really excited about of late, in part after having my second child. I wrote the book before my first child. And coming back after my second child, I realized the power of flow. Mm-hmm. What was that feeling of when you're in the zone, you're doing great work and you're feeling great? And the research by McKinsey and Company is incredibly compelling. When you're in flow, you're 5 times as productive and up to 7 times as creative. If I can increase a leader's time in flow by 15 to 20%, I can double their productivity.
1: Tell us tell us what flow is.
2: So flow is a neurological state that was first identified in the 70s by a Hungarian psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and we knew a lot about it. and We studied it, as I say, we as psychologists. We could identify the state. We called it the most magical, most mystical state, and yet also the most elusive state. But now, in the last 10 years or so, with the advent of neurotechnology, we can really start to understand the neuroscience behind flow, and we can start to look at what is it that helps us get into flow. Flow, that feeling of being absolutely at your best, is not an on-or-off state. It's actually a five-stage process. So, the work I'm doing now, I have a whole new website called createmoreflow.com, is really about how do you hack your life? How do you rethink how you're organizing your life so that you can get more flow? And this work of Create More Flow is a direct build on the rewired. It's building in two different types of unwiring, really to continuously optimize that sense of being at your best.
0: Camille, if I could what you just talked about is is fascinating and and it makes a lot of good sense stuff like that how do we take these things these principles and things that you've developed and learned and that you're teaching to executives and that sort of thing and bring them down to a family level you know how do mm-hmm. how do how do we make a family not make a family but how do we help a family to become somewhat unwired because the only way you're going to unwire a kid is that you're going to have to basically take every you know ounce of power away from them
2: yeah, you know, it's really, it's increasingly more complicated because even when you're spending family time, you, you're you stepping away from your technologies, but you hang on to your device because you want to take fit photos, right? Or you need to track time. And so it takes a lot of discipline. I often encourage people to, if you're going to take your device with you while you're having family time, put it on airplane mode. You'll still have the camera. You'll still have the the clock if you need to track time but you'll have an extra layer between when you go to check email and when you shift into gear. So do, does that resonate? Does that make sense?
0: That makes a lot of sense. So basically you're closing, for lack of a better way of putting it, you're closing the door to the outside world because obviously without, wire, without Wi-Fi and without uh, cellular service, no one can get to you anyway, and then you can still use your tools uh, within a inside world with just your family unit for the things that are important that you need to capture.
2: Absolutely. And if you do find yourself slipping to go check email or post something on Facebook, you have an extra barrier that you have to say, wait a minute, do I really want to get wired now? Do I yeah. really want to connect in?
1: You know, it's uh, um, interesting. I'm taking off in two weeks to go sailing with the same group of guys I've sailed with up in the North Channel this year. Uh, but we've sailed now. This is the 26th year. Um,
2: it's, oh, oh, that's awesome. It,
1: it's wonderful because, like you said at the beginning of the last segment, it's in Canada. I'm not going to uh, change my phone plan to a Canadian plan, so I keep my phone off, basically. We have one guy that volunteers to get a Canadian plan just because there are times that we'll need to, to access the Internet, Um but otherwise, um, we, the rest of us, kind of unplug. Except, we go to port probably once, maybe twice if we run out of beer. But we'll go to port. <laughs> we'll, go, we'll go to port once during the week, and it's funny because as soon as we get into Wi, you know, into you know the broadcast signal, of the Wi-Fi, everybody's got on their phone again, and we're all answering email and blah blah blah. And then as soon as we leave port, okay, phones go off and. And we don't get on until we're back. It's a, a drug. It's And a what drug. is the
2: quality of the connections when phones are away? What is the depth of friendship that evolves when you're fully present?
1: Um, we have a pretty good time anyway because we've known each other for so long. But yeah. but you're absolutely right. Um, we you know we're in the present with each other and having a great time. That's why we do it for 20 now, twenty six years in yeah. a row. So, but I, in, interesting.
2: I I think you can justify it. I think when I work with leaders who say I can't unplug because my team needs me, I say that's a sign that you're not really doing a good job as a leader. You know, the greatest leaders have really engaged their team and set them up for success so that they can walk away. Mm-hmm. And I, I would hold that as a metric of a leader's success, their ability to really unplug. So yeah. kudos for you and your, your fabulous sailing trip.
1: So that, yeah, you said, uh, it, it is absolutely wonderful. And, uh, um, you know, I will miss the show here in a couple of weeks, but, uh, you know, it's well worth it. Uh, Cal's just smiling at me. <laughs> anyway. Um,
0: and the reason why I'm smiling at him is because I, I truly, after reading this book, Rewired, I am I am really convinced that it's time to start really making a, a closer analysis of how I deal with technology. Not that I'm going to turn it off completely, because I know that'll never happen, but uh, to really look at it and go like, you know, something... Maybe that can wait. And like Gary was saying with the the text messaging, they're looking for that instant response. For an old geezer like me, that's just fast email. And you know something? I will answer it when I feel like answering it. When I get to it. But, yeah, it it does make you want to take a look at it and make an analysis of what's going on. Where do we go forward from here? Are we going to just continue to be more wired, or will we actually get a grip on this? What's your outlook on this, Camille?
2: I would offer all your listeners a – there's a hidden – site on my website, if you go to aimleadership.com leadership, AIM backslash rewired, there's an ebook, which is like the People Magazine version of the book. It's a quick read that gives you eight things that you can do to take action right now. In terms of where we're going, I am completely enamored with this concept of flow. And I feel like when I go into workplaces, people are craving that opportunity to feel engaged, to feel a deep focused presence to really have an impact on their work and I believe that creating more flow in life and in our workplace is really the trajectory people have felt the pain now they're looking for really tangible skills and strategies put into place so they they can feel their best they can perform their best and really engage in that people who report most flow report the greatest productivity but also the greatest happiness the Thank more you, you experience flow the more you easily you get into
1: flow Camille Preston